Welcome to Senior Story Hour, where we share poems, stories, and observations of life written by the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group. I'm Peter Jay, and join us now as we share and enjoy musings and moments as told by the authors themselves. Our writers today... I am Sue Wade, Pat Winiarski. I'm Bill Wiley. Kathy Salzberg. Carol Belcher. Gail Alcaris. Sue Bliven. Alice Judge. Joe Ewald. Faith Flaherty. Now that we are all gathered here together, we have more people joining us today. That's a wonderful thing. Ten of us besides me. A goodly group. Sue, what's new? What's new? Well, we're still putting together a book that we're going to be publishing shortly. Once we have a date set for publication, we are going to set up a tea at the Senior Center and distribute the booklet for whoever shows up for the tea. Excellent. And they can bring them home and share them and pass them along and whatever they choose to do with our stories. Yes, you will all be published writers. Yay. (laughs) A lot of us already are. Absolutely. Let's just jump right in, Sue, our first writer today. Our first writer today is Faith Flaherty. Yay, Faith. Yay. One true faith, that's me. (laughs) Okay, my story is The Demise of Flat Stanley. All week, Flat Stanley hung around the senior center. He had his picture taken with the cribbage club, eating in the cafeteria, and in writer's group. Flat Stanley gets around. That's the point. Flat Stanley is a community project. A student whose class has undertaken this project will send Flat Stanley to someone far away. That person will take a picture with Flat Stanley and write down what the picture depicts and send it back. It's fun and easy, and we seniors enjoyed having our pictures taken with Flat Stanley. But something terrible happened when a grandma and grandpa took Flat Stanley hiking. The group is called the Trail Hikers. On this ominous day, the trail hikers would just finish walking the Warner Trail in Rentham. We congratulated ourselves for completing 3.3 miles in less than two hours. The trail hikers laughed as we took our picture with Flat Stanley. We balanced him on a boulder and put a twig in his hand to look like a hiking stick. The picture came out fine. That was Flat Stanley's last picture. As Grandma and Grandpa said goodbye through our cow window, we playfully shook Flat Stanley's flat hand. Oops! He fell. Grandma bent down to pick him up, but he wasn't on the ground. She bent down to look under the car. Did he fall in the car? No, we looked. Where else? Did the wind blow him somewhere? Common sense said he fell under the car, but he wasn't there. We decided to move the car in order to see the ground better. As the car was backing up, Flat Stanley appeared on the rear tire, just as he turned around and around and down, face down on the bottom of the tire. If he wasn't flat before, he is now. (laughs) Grandpa tried to pull him out, but ripped off a leg. Well, that's nothing. A little tape couldn't fix. We moved the car back just a little, right into a pothole, a pothole full of water. We moved the car again. Unfortunately, however, Flat Stanley wasn't on the tire anymore. He must be in the water. Ick! What to do? Grandpa 
rolled up his sleeve, stuck his hand in the coal, dark, muck, and fished around. He pulled out a leaf. He pulled out a twig. The third time, he pulled out Flat Stanley's head. Grandpa tried again and again. There was nothing else. He scooped out the water. He splashed all the water out. No sign of the rest of Flat Stanley. He must have decomposed. We all gathered around and looked down at the muck. What could we do? What were Grandma and Grandpa going to tell their grandchild? We didn't know what to say. We were all complicit in the demise of Flat Stanley. Maybe we could make a copy and the grandchild would never know. Now we had a deep moral question. Is it better to lie and draw another Flat Stanley to protect the ugly truth from the grandchild? Or should we just tell the truth and say, sorry, do two wrongs make a right? Oh, for heaven's sakes, this is just a child's project, not a philosophical dissertation. Still, our solution. We didn't lie. We sent a letter to the grandchild explaining that Flat Stanley was involved in a car accident, and we included his obituary. Flat Stanley died suddenly after hiking the Warner Trail in Rentham, Massachusetts, on February 2, 2017. He was born in 1964 in a book by Jeff Brown. He was a proud friend to all and enjoyed being mailed all around the globe. He will be missed by everyone, especially young readers in the first grade. A funeral mass was held at St. Mary's on Saturday, February 4th at 11 a.m. His internment was private. In lieu of flowers, donations may be made to the Literacy Project. The family business will be continued by his sister, Pancake Patty. <laughs> and we included a paper cutout of Pancake Patty. It was the least we could do. <laughs> you might say that Flat Stanley folded. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to We can recommend that book uh, for, the, for the book next month. <laughs> So it's Flat Stanley by Jeff Brown? Yeah. Okay. I'll have to check it out. Half Just, of it is a true story. What happened so to Flat Stanley didn't. look like? Oh, I made that up. That's me. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. That Creative was, license. That was a good addition. Yes. Yeah. There <laughs> is a Flat patty. Stanley. But <laughs> what happened to him didn't happen to him. I was waiting to hear that he was survived by corrugated cardboard Carol. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that was great, Faith. Very good. Um, our next reader is Joe Ewald. Good afternoon again. And the name of my story is Serving My Country. When I was in my last year of high school, I wasn't sure what I was going to do after I graduated. My grades weren't good enough to go to college. So that option was out the door. So when I went to the local bookstore in passing, I noticed a sign at a Navy recruiting center. I saw it to be enticing for me to join. So I went inside to check it out. I talked to the recruiter and between him convincing me with his pitch and me falling in love with the idea I joined. At the time, I was only 17, but because it was at the end of the Vietnam War, 
I received a waiver because they needed every man they could get. Everybody was becoming disenchanted with this supposedly police action. So the day after I graduated from high school, I was in Great Lakes, Illinois. I caught a flight with two other guys that were also going. Believe it or not, they got me high in the bathroom with smoking a joint. (laughs) So when the bus picked me up at the airport, I was high as a kite. So that's how I started boot camp. (laughs) When I started to come down, reality set in. I was missing my mother big time, and I thought I had made a horrible mistake. The next day, I was thinking of ways to get out of basic training, like starting a fight or faking a flashback. (laughs) I, I decided not to do these things as I convinced myself to give it a try. So to my surprise, things got better as I went along. We were allowed to write letters to home and to also receive them back. This is one of the things that got me through to graduation. One of the happiest feelings I have ever experienced in this life was flying back home on a United Airlines jet. I had received two weeks leave before I had to go to dental technician A school in San Diego. After my leave, I flew again on a plane to start my training at A school. A school was pretty tough. I was very lucky to get a C, but because of my grades were average, they assigned me to the United States Marine Corps for four weeks. It was like a four-week boot camp with the so-called grunts. It was definitely tougher than Navy boot camp, but somehow I made it through. Most of the training was run, run, run. But being tall and skinny, I was able to do that part pretty good. I ran three miles in 21 minutes when all you had to do was 28 minutes. The obese men had a tough time and were picked on by the drill instructor. I felt sorry for them because they were crying because of that. But anyways, that is par course for a boot camp. I myself had found a way to get through because of my ability to run. After that, I got another two-week leave, and it just so happened to be Christmas. So needless to say, it made my heart feel good being with my family. But after the holidays were over, my duty assignment was to fly to Okinawa, Japan, and to start this particular journey with the United States Marine Corps. As a combination dental tech and field corpsman, a doc, the nickname The Grunts, gave us. I was at Camp Hansen for 13 months. The only reason that I completed that duty at Camp Hansen was the guys that I served with. They were great. I made a lot of good friends. So after that, I flew home for another leave that this time I was rewarded with a one-month leave and an assignment to serve the rest of my active obligation to the Navy at Oceanside, California, Camp Pendleton. I was there for two years. 
San Diego is a great city. They have one of the best zoos, which everybody already knows. Also, there was a version of the Boston Common, and that was Balboa Park, which is just as good, if not a little better. But anyways, my fellow shipmates, again, were awesome all the way through to the end of my active service. My inactive service was to serve six years reserve at the old Weymouth Naval Air Station. One of the most flattering moments in my life was to receive a wedding invitation from my best friend back in San Diego. One of the best memories that I had serving my three years. Then, of course, I did my six years reserve. In hindsight, I would highly recommend to young people that have a hard time deciding what to do after high school is to join the service. It gets you out of your parents' house and teaches you discipline and organization. Plus, you make friends for the rest of your life. So go Navy. <laughs> Thank you for your service. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank, yeah, you bet. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and at the time that I went to Okinawa, I don't know if everybody remembers, but the Mayaguez was hijacked. Right. The what? The what? The, the Mayaguez, the right. ship, the Mayaguez. Oh. Yeah, it was hijacked, and we were the second group because I was a corpsman, as well as a dental tech. I was the second group that was supposed to go in if the first group failed. Yeah, so I was pretty, needless to say, you know, I'm not ashamed to admit that I was pretty scared. Okay, our next reader is Alice Judge. I'm going to uh, tell you about a, an incident that happened on my honeymoon. It's called, You Do Need to Know the Language. There was no way the tour group would believe I hadn't gotten lost. The year was 1972 when Leo and I walked down the aisle on a windy September day. But our honeymoon wouldn't happen until two weeks later, our destination, Munich, Germany, for the Oktoberfest. Munich was a child's scrubbed face, clean and bright, it's people-friendly. The beer, so much a part of German's culture, especially during the Oktoberfest, tasty and flowing abundantly in beer gardens, set up in festive tents around Munich. Leo and I had been privy to one such beer garden the night before, with buxom waitresses dressed in typical Bavarian costume, serving each table beer in two-liter mugs, carrying two or three on one arm. A few days after our arrival, we joined a tour from our hotel, who was going to the opening festivities of the Oktoberfest, which started with a parade. I do need several cups of coffee in the morning to get going, and this day was no different, especially since the air was crisp. We arrived at the parade, and all of us were seated in bleachers. Gorgeous, colorful Clydesdale horses lined up for participation in the parade. You know the type that one sees in the Budweiser commercials. I marveled at their size. Majestically, they held their heads high as if acknowledging their superiority. Meanwhile, colorful jugglers entranced, dancers from tap to ballet performed, stern, synchronized military marched by. Kids in lederhosen dotted the parade route. 
The parade was fun, but halfway through, I needed to find a ladies' room. Leo, my new husband, who promised to love, obey, and never leave me, was intent on watching the parade and chose not to accompany me. So mentally taking a stock of where I was, I set off on my journey. Leo had bought a German-American dictionary prior to our trip and had been practicing with great pride. I hadn't felt it necessary. My attitude changed, however, the more desperate my situation became. Toiletten, toiletten, I asked those around me. (laughs) They simply shook their head. I walked and walked. My plight caused me to eye the huge shrubs in back of the vendors, selling everything from ice cream to the delicious knock course I had already sampled. I did find a public toilet, but the ladies' room was locked. The men's room had a steady flow of customers. I contemplated going in when the coast was clear but decided against it lest a photographer from the local newspaper put me on the front page as an ugly American. I finally came upon a pretty young girl with a pleasing smile, prompting me to ask, Toiletten? To which she replied, I'm sorry, I don't understand German. (laughs) Imagine her surprise when I said, Neither do I. Do you know where there's a bathroom? She said no and walked away. Discouraged, I decided to walk back to the tour. I turned the corner where I saw my group and Leo talking to a police officer. Everyone on the bleachers stared at me as my new husband rushed up to me. They had a silly, amused look on their face. I had been found. I came back. The people on the tour labeled me as lost, a casualty, of the outing. I could deal with them later. I had a bigger problem. (laughs) The cop showed me a restaurant in the back of the bleachers, and I did the deed. Hmm. Maybe I should rethink that third cup of coffee in the morning. (laughs) Then my newly attentive husband and I watched the remainder of the parade. Whenever I saw someone from the tour around the hotel that week, They would smirk a wise guy look, and I'd rush by with a nod. (laughs) There was no way I could tell them I wasn't lost. Oh, by the way, if you know anyone going to Germany, let them know the actual word for bathroom is die Toilette, especially if they're a coffee addict. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm amazed that real word for it it's so much like Mayan, uh-huh. but nobody understood what I was saying or didn't care. Yeah, they were interested in having a good yeah. time. Yeah. yeah, focused on that. Focused on that. Yeah, that that's uh, that was great. Thank you. So I think it was your best story. Not to say that the other stories weren't. Yeah. Thank you, John. Yeah, you got out of that very diplomatically. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. this one we can relate to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Why was the ladies' room locked? Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll move it along since there's a group of us, and the next reader is Sue Blevin. Hello. My name is Sue Blevin, and I got something a little different today. I call it, I was in a movie once. Back in the 70s, I was starting my career in the horse industry. I was teaching and training horses, and I was also competing. I enjoyed eventing 
which is a combination of dressage, cross-country, and stadium jumping, also known as three-day. I would often take students to these competitions to learn and to have fun. One such competition was being held at Ledger Farm in Hamilton, Mass. I had watched Princess Anne and Mark Phillips competing there before, as well as many Olympic hopefuls during that time. This time, though, they were filming a movie, International Velvet, with Tatum O'Neill. We did get to see her walking the cross-country course with her entourage of people. Interesting. The next day was stadium jumping, a course set up in an open field with show-type jumps. The purpose of it is to see how responsive and able a horse is after two days of dressage and a grueling cross-country course. Unfortunately, the day was torrential rains and raw temperatures. Apparently, the film crew had planned filming some of these for the movie. They had rigged some of the jumps to fall. Now the fun happens. Remember, it's raining cats and dogs and cold. After the competition, the spectators started leaving, a lot of them. The stands were emptying fast. The film people came over and asked if we could stay. They needed spectators. So my little group and I said yes. They stuck us all in a together area and the fun began. We had brought a pink blanket to sit on because the benches are hard. Now we use it to cover ourselves from the rain. The horses started jumping one at a time and they were hitting the fences left and right. Apparently the jump in front of us was rigged to fall. This poor gray horse came in and was knocking them down all by himself all over the place. He finally clears this jump in front of us, and two or three strides later, the crew member pulls it down. That was a riot. Anyways, when you watch the movie, if you look real close in the stands, you can see a little pink blanket, and we're under it. <laughs> <laughs> That's my fame. <laughs> your claim, claim to fame. To fame. Your, yeah. your, your moment in the sun. In the rain. <laughs> it's extremely disappointing, if you know what you're looking at. Do you see the pink blank? Oh, yeah. Like I said, you got to look really close. i got to point out to you. It says, look, yeah. look, look, look. See the little tiny pink right there? Yeah. And, and, that, then, that's and me. then put it on pause. <laughs> A lot of pause. It's really quick. <laughs> Don't, don't look at the horse. Just look at the pink part. Yep. <laughs> Our next reader is Gail Alcaris. This is entitled Poetry. Spring has sprung. The grass is riz. I wonder where the flowers is. When I was a child, we spouted all kinds of doggerel, as my English teacher used to call them, to explain various situations, such as the late spring we're experiencing. Most poets focus on the beauty of the positive. They love the smell of the new mown hay, the promise of light dappled bulbs ringed with gold daffodils and the nearby neatly outlined trees of Phasithia. When we were in Ireland at this time of year, we stopped on the side of a large hill and looked at what seemed to be a part of a gold pot all down the hill and at the bottom and up the opposite side of a hill larger than the one we were on was kept in beautiful golden flowers. I don't know who owned it or who kept it up, but it was breathtaking. Ireland even smelled differently. Even while still in the airport, you could smell the fresh air. 
No smell of diesel fuel or long-past half-eaten lunches or overflowing trash baskets masks the smell. What our forebears must have missed from the moment they landed in the new world. Incidents that have long forgotten still live in my rhymes, in my mind. Late last night, when we were all in bed, Mrs. O'Leary put the lantern in the shed, and when the cow kicked it over, she winked her eye and said, there'll be a hot time in the old town tonight. Sometimes the poet doesn't quite get it, as in, tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forest of the night. Oh, what fearsome hand or eye has formed the perfect symmetry? Maybe they pronounced what we heard as hand or eye, but... Maybe they couldn't pronounce it properly, or they pronounced it differently then. Or maybe they thought the Y sound would rhyme with I. Ah, well, it still makes quite an image of a well-muscled tiger pyramiding through the jungle in the middle of the night. We've learned as much from the poetry of the day. Listen, my children, and you shall hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere. How many children today cannot repeat the whole thing? But after just one bit of the poem is enough to bring to mind the whole experience. When my granddaughter was born and named Madeline, I rushed out to buy her the book. It was her favorite thing, and she can still recite, In an old house in Paris that was covered in vines lived twelve little girls in two straight lines. In two straight lines they broke their bread, brushed their teeth, and went to bed. The smallest one was Madeline. And not all poems are delightful. Whose heart doesn't sink when you hear the words, et tu, Brute, and be stricken with the words, we have come not to praise Caesar, but to bury him. And who hasn't used the words at Halloween, double, trouble, boil, and bubble? Well, I don't remember the whole poem, but I do remember a line or two, enough to set the whole scene for me. One of my favorites is the lines from the poem, Pippa Passes. The years at the spring, the days at the dawn, God's in his heaven, all's right with the world. Very good. Very nice. Longfellow wrote the writer Paul Revere. The writer Paul Revere, yeah. Yeah, Longfellow. Yeah. That was beautiful. Yeah, it's a good one. Very good. Very good, very good. Our next reader is Carol Belcher. My piece is about cleaning house, and all of us can identify with that. It's spring cleaning time again. It comes every year, doesn't it? Where does all this stuff come from, and why do I keep it? I must be more sentimental than I thought. Else why keep Christmas cards and birthday cards? I always keep the photo cards just to watch the kids grow. I finally part with all the others. Then there are programs from various events I have attended. Out they go. After dealing with the reams of paper and other forms of detritus, it's time to tackle the physical stuff. Take the better part. Wash the dust ruffle, the mattress pad, and the blanket. Dust all parts of the frame, clean under the bed. And while the containers holding seasonal clothing are at my fingertips, 
swap the winter for summer, then iron the miserable dust ruffle, starching as I go, replace all the bedding, and I'm done for the day, and I mean done for the day. Next day, it's cleaning and polishing all the pictures and other items on the walls. They look so nice now. Then it's empty drawers, sort things, and wipe clean, and also the several chests I keep things in. Do I really need to keep 14 vases? Maybe one of each size and the one I gave my mother. And how about the six sets of coasters? Does anyone need those? I don't even drink. I should test all of these batteries. Maybe some are still good. Now get to the far corners of those closets. Rearrange the linen closet. It's really a jelly cabinet that my husband made, and it sits in the entryway. That's where it fits, and that's where it sits. After polishing the bureaus and closets and chests, I call it a day. At this rate, it'll take two weeks, but I will get it done. Exhausting. <laughs> I know, here I am. <laughs> now it's time to take a nap. Yeah, God love you. Our next reader is Kathy Salzberg. Hello, this is Kathy. Mother's Day is coming up soon, so I wrote something for the mothers. Happy Mother's Day. Several years ago, a leading feminist had what she considered a brilliant idea, take your daughter to work day. It was supposed to raise a girl's consciousness about her mother's world of work outside the home, allowing the child to view mom in a whole new light. It must have flopped. I haven't heard a word about it since. On that fateful day, maybe those little girls reverted to the same behavior pattern they practiced at home. Mom, can I have some money for the candy machine? Can we stop at the toy store on the way home to buy some new outfits for my Barbie? It has been said that life is a series of trials and errors. In that spirit, I came up with a novel idea of my own for the groomers of the world, Take Your Mother to Work Day. Let's face it, most of our mothers have no idea how hard we work or how skilled we are. They brag about our siblings who became doctors, lawyers, nurses, or even dental hygienists. As for me, I'd rather groom a dog than pick somebody's teeth any day. <laughs> I plan to give the idea a trial run at my shop first. None of my groomers were too excited about becoming human guinea pigs, but I promised to treat them to lunch at a nearby restaurant if they would give it a whirl. Since lunch is a foreign concept to most groomers, this captured their attention and gained their grudging, if not enthusiastic, participation. I was exempted, but I proudly pointed out the loving relationship I share with my daughter, who is also my business manager. Look at how well we get along, I told my staff. Since they greeted the statement with a room full of deadpan stares and a couple of muffled snickers, I suspect my daughter was making gestures behind my back. <laughs> no matter, I can take a joke. And besides, we all know who signs her paycheck. <laughs> Hello, Jake, Laurie said to the excited Labrador retriever who bounded into the shop 
dragging his handsome owner behind. Can you check him for fleas? The well-dressed man asked, glancing at his Rolex. I've got to run. I have a patient due in 20 minutes for a root canal. An oral surgeon, huh? remarked Mary, Laurie's mother, as she beamed approvingly. I didn't notice any wedding ring either. I thought you said you never met any eligible men in this business. Laurie groaned. Let's not get started on my love life, Mom. I know I've been going through a little drought lately. A drought? It's more like the Irish potato famine. (laughs) (laughs) Mary hooted. The last time I came by your house, you were taking a shower with your dog. Besides, what man in his right mind would put up with all those animals you have? I'm sorry, dear, but your house is a zoo. My house is clean, Mum, Laurie said. You could eat off my floors. Yes, if you're a parakeet, her mother shot back. Your kitchen floor looks like the bottom of a birdcage, dear. In the last time I opened one of your cabinets, a cat jumped out. I could have had a heart attack. Barely concealing a hint of disappointment in her voice, Laurie muttered, Well, you didn't, did you? (laughs) (laughs) All I ever wanted was the best for you, her mother said. I want you to find the kind of soulmate I had with your late father. I know that, Mom. And I am trying. I even placed a personal ad in the newspaper last month. I worded it, looking for honest, sincere, and fun-loving companion, someone who enjoys long walks in the woods or along the beach, must be faithful, trustworthy, and a good listener. Mary brightened. Did you get any responses? Well, I heard from a person who breeds dogs, Laurie told her. She offered me one of her golden retrievers. <laughs> At least Nancy's mother, Dottie, seemed to be enjoying herself. Casually dressed and youthful, she seemed more like one of the employees until she started giving advice. Nervous under her mother's watchful gaze, Nancy nicked a nail on a beagle and blood spurted onto her mother's jeans. Let me get that, Mom, Nancy volunteered, dabbing the spot with enzymatic cleaner. Meat tenderizer always works best on bloodstains, Dottie interjected. And you should tell your boss that vinegar works wonders in removing the odor of urine. Mom, you're amazing. How can you know so much? Nancy chuckled. Oh, I had to learn these things, honey. When you were a kid, you were always skinning your knees. And remember that time in the second grade when you had the bedwetting problem? (laughs) The ensuing silence was broken by Ray's mother, Winnie, a cute little lady with a crown of pinkish curls that never moved, even when her son lost control of the dry hose. My Raymond never had that problem, but he rarely used the bathroom at school, she said. He preferred to only go at home. Maybe because I always kept it so immaculately clean. I guess he inherited my high standards. Winnie was also the apologetic type, personally taking the blame for all the world's ills and willing to pardon everyone's shortcomings. I think it was so nice of that Bill Clinton to have paying guests at the White House, she observed. If he gave a discount for AARP members, I would have gone myself. Can you imagine it, Ray? Your father and I in the Lincoln bedroom. Ray looked pained as if he didn't want to entertain that particular visual. (laughs) He was struggling to put a muzzle on Barney, a warty old cocker spaniel with cloudy eyes. 
Why don't I talk to the poor little thing, Winnie told him. He's probably just scared. Despite his limited vision, Barney hadn't lost a beat in his jaw reflexes. Before Winnie could get a hand on the old dog, his teeth clamped down on her wrist like a steel trap, splitting her large plastic bracelet in two. It was my fault, she whimpered. I must have said something to upset him. By now, Ray was a basket case. For heaven's sake, mother, he shrieked. I know you think you're an expert on everything, but that does not include animal handling. I can't believe my son is raising his voice to me in front of his co-workers when he whimpered. Just go ahead and groom the dog. You don't need your mother's help. She grabbed her purse and headed for the door. I'll call you later, said the distraught groomer. Do you want me to write down my number, she asked. (laughs) Since you never call me, you've probably forgotten it by now. (laughs) Watch my dog, Ray told the other groomers as he ran after his mother, scissors in hand. Please, mother, don't go away mad. Stay and enjoy the day. As Winnie's arms flailed at her son, his Japanese shears went airborne, coming to rest with their tips embedded in the linoleum floor. My best shears, he moaned. If you had listened to your mother, that never would have happened, Winnie advised. How many times have I told you never to run with scissors? Take your mother to work. They will not be repeated at the village groomer. In fact, I promised the staff a one-year moratorium on any more bright ideas. (laughs) I had to, or else they never would have let me out of that cage. (laughs) As always, it's good for a chuckle. And our next reader is Bill Wiley. Hi, I'm Bill, and this this is a poem that's uh, similar to my last poem the, that I read on, on the last show. It's about spring, and I call it uh, Paradise. The warm spring weather has come. Good to feel the warmth of the sun. The crocus flowers have come and gone. Daffodils so beautiful on a Sunday morn. The forthysia bushes so yellow and bright. Beside my house, make me feel all right. After the cold weather, the sun feels so good. It warms my heart. I knew it would. The temperature gets warmer as the days go by. I feel so good, and I know why. The grass in my yard starts to turn green. I feel so happy. I'm never mean. The flowers in my yard and gaze at this beauty. I photograph them all. I feel it's my duty. The birds fly here and squirrels run around. The chipmunk runs fast. He won't be found. This beauty abounds. It feels so nice. I'm just sitting here in paradise. Very nice. Very great. Just taking in the day. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And our next reader is Pat Winioski. A May day at Dacey Field. An azure sky of clarity, a glowing sun of illuminating brilliance, a balmy breeze of softness and gentleness blended to form an amiably glorious day. Freshly mowed grass created variegated stripes of dark green and light green. The clean, crisp scent of the grass after days of misty rain epitomized a fresh spring day in May. As I ambled along, 
a surprising and beautiful patch of dazzling yellow goldenrods popped up around a gentle curve on the path. Swaying leaves in the trees above provided musical motion for brightly hued flowers to dance in and out of the shadows. Knock, knock, knock. The quick, repetitious beat of a woodpecker's beak against a sturdy tree supplied the percussion to the sweet, melodious chirping of house sparrows and the cheery whistles of robins. Refreshing, beautiful spring days always bring light to my countenance through a joyous smile. Very good, very That's good. very positive. Very nice. Feels wonderful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You can visualize everything. Yes. Yes, yeah. And yes, spring is upon us. It, it is, it is. That's right. And I'm sort of following in the same vein as spring. It's do they remember? Remember the rhymes we sang as children? Do the children of today still remember them and sing them? With the weather we have been having, one song sticks out and comes to mind. Rain, rain, go away. Come back again another day. Little Johnny wants to play. And, of course, April showers bring May flowers. Looking out the window and admiring the new flowers and the buds on the trees, the burst of color helps with all those dreary mornings when you just don't want to get up and go out into the rain. April is a month of change. Bare trees spring into life again. Brown lawns turn green. Yards come to life with a myriad of color. Winter coats are put away and light jackets are enjoyed. And on an occasion, no jackets at all. April, the month of transition between winter and a warm spring leading into summer. Summer, a time of green grass tickling toes on bare feet. Children enjoying bicycles, sidewalk chalks, and bubbles. So do the children still sing the songs of April? Makes you wonder if they do actually. I think that, I think that there are some things that are perennial. I'd like to think that even in our digital age and social media that some of these things continue to survive. It would be nice to know that. And yeah. I'm going to cling to that fervent hope besides just... <laughs> okay, yep. I'm going to go backwards a little bit in time to February. When we were putting up... I'll give you a little backstory. When we were putting up this building, um, many of you know that it used to be a market. Yep. And, of course, we had to redo the plumbing. And we had to dig up the floor to do that and put in some drain pipes and all the rest. It was a pretty extensive uh, job. So I wrote about the progress of our building as we went on. And this story is about one phase of that work, entitled, They Came With Shovels. Are we still making progress? Rebuilding is pretty serious when the bathrooms go away. Last week, we ripped one out to make way for the concrete cutters. They sliced up a big section of floor to lay in some new drain pipes. Then the shovels came out. They dug a grave-sized hole several feet. We didn't find any bodies, mastodon bones, other surprise disruptions to progress, no Indian burial site, no Jimmy Hoffa. (laughs) Just dirt. Oddly comforting, that. 
Then, in a dark about face, we paused a moment to consider just how many bodies we might fit in there before we close it up. <laughs> in retrospect, we should have tossed in a time capsule, maybe a usual coffee can containing news of the day, greetings to an optimistic future, token artifacts. But we just added a few pipes. Seems like a waste of a perfectly good hole if you don't toss in something laced with a touch of mystery or scandal. Opportunity digs but once. They put all the dirt back, and the new concrete is hard now. Oh, well, maybe next time. <laughs> well, historically, they used to put bodies in as part of the foundation of buildings when they were built. And Okay, then. <laughs> did anyone volunteer? Uh, a lot of times it was somebody on the crew that they did not like, and they just, oh. it was a way of getting rid of them. I would, I've been asked. I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been invited. Yes. To be a body? Yeah, they thought I'd be good at it. Well, Sue, we've done it again. We have. I think it was very good this week. Good turnout. Good, good turnout. A lot of good stories. And if you have a great story, join us. Tell it. Share it. Write it for all to enjoy. If you would like to join our Senior Center writers, just call the Senior Center at 508-520-4945. For all of our writers, I am Sue Wade, Pat Winiarski, Bill Wiley, Kathy Salzberg, Carol Belcher, Gail Alcaris, Sue Bliven, Alice Judge, Joe Ewald, Faith Flaherty. Thank you for being here with us on Senior Story Hour and sharing in today's stories. Again, for all of our writers, I'm Peter J. Remember, be they laced with gravity, Levity, wisdom, or whimsy, the meaningful experiences of life become a little larger when you share them, when you take a moment to commit pen to paper and just write. This is FPR.